Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Welcome to Robins on the Wire with myself, Michelle Owen, and Gregor McGregor. This week, so much to look at. The seven-side derby, a fantastic result for City. Also talk about Neil Warnock's reaction compared to Lee Johnson's after the game. And be talking about these Manchester United tickets. So many City fans want to be at that game. Obviously, demand outweighing supply. Gregor's got some more information on that for us. But we start with some trivia about Marlon Pack. How many starts has the midfielder made for City. We'll come back to that at the end. Uh, hello, Gregor. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. How are you doing, Michelle? Yeah, really good, really good. Um, I'm sure you were even better after that seven-side derby victory uh, just over a week ago. Absolutely, yeah. Close game. I thought um, Cardiff were a little bit unlucky. Played really well on the day. Just those little things didn't go their way. Um, and yeah, fantastic result for Bristol City. Maybe not quite the performance, and Lee Johnson kind of admitted that after the match as well, but certainly um, a brilliant result and the sort of thing that could be um, uh, a real statement and maybe when we look back at the end of the season, a really important uh, victory for the team. That goal by Callum O'Dowd was, was something special, wasn't it? His first league goal and, and what a time to do it. Yeah, I mean, Callum O'Dowd is just getting better every week. He's in fantastic form, isn't he? We've seen him this week and playing for Ireland out in Denmark. But before that, obviously, he had... Billy Jones on toast, I think is the phrase, uh, when, he was up at, when he was up at Sunderland, turning the right back inside out. And yeah, brilliant cross for um, Jurich against Sunderland and then carried on, didn't he? Um, yeah, uh, the goal against um, uh, Cardiff and then also a fantastic performance against um, uh, Fulham in midweek as well when he set up yet another goal, um, setting up Corey Smith with a, a neat cutback from the wing as well. When Cardiff City pulled back the equaliser to draw level just before half-time through Bogle. Did you think that the ball went out or not? Because Lee Johnson said to me in post-match that the people upstairs, the analysts, said it went out. Do you know any more on this? Um, I've watched it back and uh, I actually slowed it down on uh, uh, the uh, Sky Sports highlights afterwards. And um, I've had a few people say to me that it didn't completely go out. Um, so I don't know that's my take on it and from what I could see I'm not sure that the whole of the ball remember has to cross the line Um, I'm not sure that the whole of the ball and that was clear blue sea between ball and touchline but then I might be wrong on that well, ultimately, it didn't cost them, obviously, because the second half, Emil Bogle goes flying into that challenge. Two-footed, I think it was. Definitely red. And Warnock didn't contest that after the game, but that was not a pretty thing to see on a football pitch, was it? No, and neither is Neil Warnock in the press conference afterwards after a challenge like that. And he was quite damning about his player in some regards, but he was more damning about the referee. And obviously, after the match, we covered this well, but he, he really um, didn't like uh, Mike Jones' performance. He was going to speak to the referee after he'd spoken to us written journalists and um, yeah um, basically say what were you playing at and were you prepared properly um, I think is the line that he used um, to ask him about why Marlon Pack wasn't sent off uh, before the Bogle challenge and of course um, then he wouldn't have received that two-footed challenge from the striker well yeah I mean Warnock was pretty animated shall we say in the tunnel after because we do our post-match in different places don't we so um Neil Warnock came to me to do the post-match and I didn't know but Lee Johnson was just waiting around the corner to come and do his post-match with me so Lee Johnson listened to every word Warnock had to say uh, but he was obviously Johnson was very calm after because they'd won but Warnock was scathing I think it's fair to say about the referee's performance but what do you think? I mean was Marlon Pack should he have been sent off after 
that challenge, which could have been a second yellow, maybe could have been a red. Yeah, I thought it was um, probably, yeah, definitely a second yellow. Not sure about a red. Um, and Pat can consider himself a bit lucky. But then at the same time, obviously, um, maybe Bristol City did get the breaks there, but they didn't earlier than, as we were saying, about the um, the ball, whether it was out of play from Junior Hoylet's run down the right wing. So maybe giving with one hand, taking away with the other, kind of evening things out. I wanted to ask you, Michelle, what are your thoughts about Neil Warnock? Because a few of the fans have sort of, um, don't, I think, uh, don't like him, I think is uh, fair to say. And <laughs> I, I actually think he's... He's a, he's a fairly good guy. He revels, I think, in the pantomime villain role. He got a mixed reception from the City fans, um, and, but he stopped to sign autographs, which I thought was nice, that, um, autographs from the home fans as well as the away fans. And he was also um, uh, very accommodating in the press conference afterwards. He's, he's always got time for us uh, lowly written um, press journalists. Um, <laughs> he, he's a good guy from that point of view. Um, so I know a lot of journalists um, don't mind him either. Don't do yourself a disservice. Don't call yourself lowly. Now, my dealings with Neil Warnock, I know he's not Bristol City's favourite manager. That's probably an understatement. But he's always been really nice to deal with, you know, in defeat as well. Some managers can be a little bit funny, it's fair to say, but he's always been lovely to me. And when he first met me, he was very complimentary of me because obviously he'd had a little bit of time out of football just for a few months and he'd been watching sort of Soccer Saturday and Sky Sports on the telly. So he was lovely and I've worked with him quite a lot, actually. So I don't really have a bad word to say about him, which is not what Bristol City fans want to hear. Um, But, you know, talking about these uh, suspensions, you know, obviously Emma Bogle getting sent off, Marlon Pack was at a second yellow. That brings us quite nicely onto Bailey Wright, which we didn't have a chance to talk about in the last podcast because it happened after we'd recorded it. Um, for me, absolute madness. I know we both tweeted about it. If someone comes up to you and puts their arm up to you, possibly in the face, it takes you by surprise and you're going to fall over. It wasn't simulation, was it? Not to my eyes. Um, I know a lot of people from other clubs and also some commentators have said, well, he held his face and he wasn't hit in the face. Well, I spoke to Bailey Wright the next day after the match and I asked him about his version of the events. And he said to me um, quite categorically, basically, uh, Abubakar Kamara had come up to him, thrust his elbow straight forward and caught um, Bailey on the chin. Um, and that's what he said to me on the chin. That's the vital thing there. So for them, him to then go hold, holding, go down, holding his face, I think is quite reasonable. Um, p- people have said, well, he's exaggerated. Well, how do you know if you, unless if you get elbowed in the in the face? I, I defy you not to hold your face. Um, <laughs> Bristol City um, didn't make mention of any contact with the face in their official report. And I think maybe this comes down to the timings of everything. Um, they're under pressure and don't have much time to deal with and respond to this in maybe the amount of time they'd have liked. They've got a short reply that they have to reply to the FA with from Bailey Wright giving his version of events. They didn't make mention of him being caught in, in the face at all. Um, and um, it seems like the three players on the panel have uh, then made the, 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 the final decision, have said, well, Bailey's not mentioned being caught in the face, yet he holds his face, so therefore he, he's simulating. So should Bailey Wright then have said, I got caught in the face in, in the statement and the appeal, but he didn't say it, is that what you're saying? Essentially, yes, and that, that's what he said to us when we interviewed him in the, in the, in the um, pre-Cardiff um, press conference after the Fulham match. But looking at it, you know, on the video evidence, and the FA said they reviewed all FA video evidence available, which would have been the club footage as well, you can see that he gets caught in the chin. 
it's, it's just baffling, isn't it? If, if that's the video they went off, the one that the club released, if that's the only piece of video, I don't think you can categorically say where he's been here, where he's been caught, um, and also how hard he's been here. Um, he was obviously not flying backwards, and, and the three um, ex-players on the panel all agreed that it, it was a foul by Kamara and he'd been knocked off his feet to, his, to the floor, essentially. Um, but it seems to be that their argument was that he'd exaggerated the... Um, the contact to the point where, yeah, he was holding his face to get Kamara sent off. I don't, I don't think you can say absolutely a hundred percent that that is the case, and it has to be uh, that for a, um, a successful um, punishment. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so if this has happened now for Bailey Wright, then surely this needs to be consistent throughout the game. But there's been instances since then of simulation, so surely if this is setting a standard, then there needs to be consistency. Yeah, the problem here is that it comes down to the ruling from the FA and um, they're quite clear that they can only act in certain circumstances and it's where a player has been sent off or where a penalty has been um, uh, awarded, as was the case with that first um, uh, incident um, where a, a match official was uh, successfully deceived uh, regarding Carlisle and the penalty there that was given that, that shouldn't have been. And yeah, the, the case here is that a red card did ensue, the red card was rescinded and in those circumstances then you can look back um, and, and um, basically punish a player for um, decei- um, de- deceiving the referee, that's what's been ruled here. So only in those circumstances as, as I understand it. Well, it'll be intriguing to see if and when this this comes up again, but obviously not ideal preparation for Lee Johnson uh, losing his captain just a couple of days before the seven-side derby, but I spoke to him in post-match and he said, look, it happened, and as soon as we knew about it, we just dealt with it. What did you think about Corey Smith slotting in at, at right back over Zach Viner? Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that decision. I thought they would go with Zach Viner. They've trusted uh, Zach before. Um, they gave him the right-back slot against Reading when they kept a 1-0, uh, got a 1-0 win, kept the clean sheet uh, and Zach's come in and done really well in the League Cup played really well against uh, Stoke at, at Ashton Gate um, and I, I don't actually think he's lost a game when he's been playing this season for um, the Robins and he was also trusted to play well in that Newcastle game last season which was quite a big game when, when City got a, a score draw up there so yeah I was surprised to see um, Corey um, uh, slot in over there um, but obviously um, uh, Lee Johnson trusts him to do a good job and let's be honest Corey Smith's a quality player. He played brilliantly, I thought, up in uh, Fulham. Uh, got that vital uh, second goal, of course. And yeah, he's a versatile player. He can he can do a good job all over. What about Horder Magnuson at left back? Because was Magnuson slightly at fault for the Cardiff City goal? Is Hoylet wriggled free of him? What do you think of him in that position? Yeah, a little bit at fault for that goal. Um, obviously, he plays left back a lot for Iceland. Um, we've seen him doing that again this week. And yeah, I, I know a lot of City fans really rate Hordur and have been clamouring for him to have a, a, a good chance in the first team. Um, and he's had that recently. And depending on injuries, he, he, might, he might get a bit of a run now still. Um, and definitely with the Joe Bryan playing on the left wing, I, I think that's worked out pretty well and is a, is a good little option there for um for uh, Lee Johnson I, I actually would like to see um, Bristol City occasionally try and play three at the back I know yeah can I uh, can I just say on that as well I thought that's what they were going to do before the seven side derby I, so I thought that they might bring Smith into midfield and had just have the three at the back and I said that to a couple of people like no 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 but are you with me you think three at the back could work you could have Brian as a wing back and then one well you could perhaps have one of the wingers as a wing back as well do you think that could work 
Yeah, well, yeah, I do. I, I think they've got the personnel for it, haven't they? And um, they've, they've got this surplus of quality centre-backs. So, And, yeah, Joe Bryan is just the ideal left-wing back. And, OK, on the right, maybe they're not so blessed. But um, I'm not sure maybe you'd want Bailey Wright to play there. But Zach Viner could do a, a good job there. Possibly um, Callum O'Dowder as well. He, he, he did that earlier in the season when they were playing away at Wolves. They, they briefly went to uh, three at the back. And I have asked Lee Johnson about that before. And... Um, I know that that is something they've worked on. They they don't start in that system, but I, I believe that um, they have that kind of tucked into their back pocket that um, if they need to go to three at the back for a game um, and push players up, then they can do that. A bit of a blessing in disguise, just to wrap up sort of on the seven-side derby, going back to that, was Nathaniel Mendes-Lang, such a good player for Cardiff City, got injured pretty much after five minutes, and that was a plus point, wasn't it? Because his replacement, uh, Feeney, was actually subbed back off in the second half, the poor guy, wasn't he? Yeah, and we were just talking about Magnussen, weren't we? And um, yeah, maybe a bit of... Uh, well, it was still a tough game for um, Magnussen at left-back because he had to deal with Feeney, but also um, Junior Hoyle, who mm. I quite rate. I think he's... He's, he's brilliant. He is brilliant. Yeah. He's, he's good at that level. And um, yeah, he, he had some joy against the Icelandic defender uh, at times. Um, I think it's fair to say. So um, yeah, hopefully Horder's going to get this run in the side now, though, because obviously um, he could have left the club, as we as we know, in the summer. It's quite kind of well documented that he had this uh, loan offer on on the table for him on on transfer deadline day. And I asked him about that recently, and he said that he only had four hours to decide whether he wow. wanted to move to Russia. But that's the, the life of the modern day footballer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on from the seven side derby. There is a huge game coming up in about five weeks' time, just before Christmas. Win this game and it can make for a very happy Christmas for Bristol City fans. Of course, I'm talking about the League Cup quarter-final at Ashton Gate as City take on Manchester United. I've seen a few rounds as they've progressed through the competition, saw them thrash Plymouth 5-0 at home, and of course that very impressive uh, victory that you were at, Gregor, against Watford, a fantastic win then, and then taking another Premier League scalp in the form of Stoke which was a very disciplined and solid performance. And then after that, they beat Crystal Palace. What were we thinking about Manchester United? Well, they'll have a chance, won't they? And obviously, yeah, Lee will field the strongest team he can. And you never know in the cup, as they say, as the cliche goes. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I I thought it was interesting what happened with the tickets this week in terms of... Mm. um, the way the club um, has allocated them. And I actually side with the club here and think they've done the right thing. They've made it so that the Atio stand isn't just going to be for Manchester United fans and they're going to try and get as many Bristol City fans in there as they can. Yeah. I know there's a bit of blowback, obviously, against the prices and things. That's, unfortunately, that's at this day and age, isn't it? And I think it's probably fair enough because everybody wants to go to this game. I mean, everybody on social media is awash with them, people trying to find Manchester United tickets. So uh, have you got any Manchester United tickets uh, available? I have not, I'm afraid, unless you want to come up on the gantry with me, Gregor, but I'm not sure I could get anyone up there, I'm afraid, for this game. Um, but someone was chatting to me about this and they said, what about the fans that went to that Plymouth Argyle game in the first round where Bristol City beat them 5-0? Surely those fans should sort of get first dibs on these tickets, right? But how do you work something like that out for the club? It's a very difficult logistical situation. Yeah, completely agree with you there. And um, yeah, they they have their own loyalty schemes, don't they? And they've been marked up by such. And 
Uh, unfortunately, the way the world is, it will go to com um, the commercial decisions as well. Um, they've got a business to run, and that obviously ties back into the club in terms of them ploughing more money into the first team and, and having better prospects week to week. But, um, yeah, I, I think they've done a fairly good job here, and it's, it seems to be mostly Manchester United fans who are crying about the allocation, mm. um, and I don't think that's a bad outcome. Oh, of course not, of course not. And the game will be on telly as well. I know it's not the same, and... As someone that goes to loads of live football games, if you're thinking, why is she saying it's on the telly? It's not the same. It's not the same, but at least, hopefully, you will be able to watch it or get down the pub and watch it. But it's going to be a fantastic game and something we will be talking about a lot more in the build-up to it on the podcast uh, then. So, Gregor, you've been chatting to a man who played with Lee Johnson at Bristol City. Yeah, I spoke with uh, Michael McIndoe recently. He's got a book coming out, um, Wildling, I believe, is out now. I've had a bit of a read of it. And, uh, Any good? Yeah, it is good. There's, I'm not going to... Uh, there's a bit about Bristol City in there, obviously, from his time. And I think there's an interesting comparison between the team he played for under Gary Johnson, which is almost sort of 10 years ago now. And they had that fantastic season, obviously, culminating in the run to the playoff champ, um, championship playoff final, which uh, Michael scored in the semi-finals for. Uh, free kick against Crystal Palace that helped seal their place in the final there um, and he had a key role to play that season and uh, yeah the season after for leaving he was only at Bristol City for two years and there's a good chunk of the book about his time there and um, yeah basically I just caught up with him uh, to ask him about those times Well I noticed that in my first and second season with Bristol City we've petered out the season both times in fact I think we won almost the same amount of games one out of eight going into the playoffs and in the second season which tells you something about squad you should be finishing stronger you should be making less changes um, going into the playoffs of course we done well against Crystal Palace um, and our form against Crystal Palace uh, handhold throughout that season had been reasonably good um, but I felt that when we went to Wembley without being derogatory or disrespectful it's when you find out where your winners are Gregor mm -hmm. it really is um, and the team that we played consistently through if you look at the team in the first half of the season to the team that actually played in the playoff final it's a different team mm -hmm. personnel wise and the way we play um, and yes we threw the kitchen sink at Holland day I think we had 21 efforts on their goal 13 on target which in any game should mm -hmm. equal a goal um, and I think the biggest thing for me was that Dean Windass at 40 years of age scored the winner there was key moments and turning points in that game. Bradley are obviously uh, coming off, being disorientated. Um, but for me, I look back and I think it wasn't the playoff final that, that cost us that season. Mm -hmm. It was the second half of the season that cost us. Because, as I said before, we shouldn't have even been in the playoff final. And just to add in as well, um, that Michael played with Lee Johnson, so he has a bit of an insight into Lee's working methods. And I thought there was an interesting line on how he rates Lee Johnson, how he thought he did last season and how he can improve. Yeah, I've watched a few games. Uh, there is definite similarities to the way um, Lee's father, Gary, used to manage us. Uh, I can see he's obviously passed things on to his son. Um, and I think Lee needs to believe in himself a little bit more. It's mm -hmm. something that I, I know Lee personally. Um, and I think he'd done ever so well last year, riding the storm, because it was a hell of a storm, let's be completely honest about it. Um, and, he, and he read it out, and obviously he needs to realise that when you put yourself out there as a leader of men, you are going to get a lot more stick than you ever got when you're a footballer, um, because the box stops with you. Um, I think Mr Lansdowne has been extremely patient, and I think that's because he sees Lee's long-term vision. Um, and Lee has always, throughout his football career, talked about becoming a manager uh, and an ethos 
of how he wanted to play. And I think the Bristol City fans are starting to see that a little bit. Mm-hmm. The key is, can they consistently maintain it for the Championship? Which, as you know, is an extremely tough division. You said there about some similarities between Gary's and Lee's teams. What what would they be? I think that when I watched them play on Sky, um, I noticed that they're breaking lines. Um, and I mean that through being passing through uh, defensive lines and not so much passing sideways or backwards all the time, which a lot of championship clubs do. Um, and the other thing I've noticed as well that we used to do in, in, in GJ's side was obviously not panicking around the box. Um, you have to put more crosses in the championship and it doesn't always have to be your standard cross. So in and around the box, you have to be a lot more calm. Uh, rushing things and just whipping it in willy-nilly is never going to get you anywhere in the top half of the championship. And I think Lee's put that together a little bit. What I can see is team that are probing a lot more around the edge of the box and looking for that easier chance rather than just doing the, the general get into the box and see what happens type of thing. So there's definite similarities. And Gregor, you've actually been chatting to another ex-City player, Danny Coles, who's now an agent, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I had an interesting chat with Danny, and um, he is um, a former Bristol City and Bristol Rovers player, actually, of course. Um, But he came through at Bristol City, and I thought there was an interesting parallel between himself and the likes of Joe Bryan and maybe Zach Viner and Lloyd Kelly as well. Um, So I asked him specifically about coming through at Ashton Gate and... And eventually um, settling um, or capturing um, a first-team role on a regular basis. And he made an interesting point to me, um, which was that um, basically clubs shouldn't take local players or players who come through the academy for granted. Um, and I think he's got a good point there, really. Some clubs, and I don't think really, I don't think Bristol City here, but other clubs maybe don't look at their local players enough and maybe prefer the sexier names from abroad. Whereas um, sometimes there's good talent closer to home. And yeah, a perfect example of that is a shining star this season, Bobby Reid, isn't it? Absolutely, man on fire. And um, yeah, he's he's just looks so good at the moment. He, he's got back in form and I think he'll have a crucial role to play against Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday this weekend then, a team that maybe some people thought would be doing a little bit better than they are at the moment. 11th in the table, perhaps predicted for the playoffs once again, but... Uh, they're quite a way behind City, seven points behind them. Is this a game you look at for Bristol City and look at and think, right, another three points here is a strong possibility at the moment? I was talking to a few um, Sheffield Wednesday fans recently and they were saying it depends how the match starts off. I think some Wednesday fans think their club has just turned the corner. They've had a, uh, two wins, I think, in the last two games. Um, and yes, yeah, City will need to start the game well. However, they don't need to have any fear whatsoever because they've got the second best record on the road this season, 15 points gained. Only Wolves can top that with 16 points. So yeah, City can go there and they're also the top scorers away from home. Um, so you'd have thought there's a good chance they'll hit the back of the net at least once. And um, both both teams have um, conceded few goals on the road. Um, so yeah, it might, might be a close game this, I think. Um, but I'm confident that City can get something. And back to Ashton Gate next Tuesday for Preston. I mean, you look at this on paper, Preston had such a fantastic start to the season. They've really fallen away, whereas Bristol City have gone from strength to strength. So do you think something like four points from the six would be a good return out of these two games for Lee Johnson and his men? Definitely. If you look at the gap as well that's developing between fourth and fifth, then then yeah, I think they prob- I think the coaches would take four points at the moment because it'll put them into a really nice position just um, ahead of the Christmas fixtures. We will be discussing those fixtures, the results and what comes of them in the next Robins on the Wire podcast. And to finish today, Marlon Pack, how many starts has he made for Bristol City? Gregor McGregor? 
He's made 166 starts by our reckoning. We've just worked out on the calculator. Uh, 202 appearances altogether. We did report recently that he'd made his 200th appearance, but obviously a dab hand at holding up plates as well. Uh, yes, for Aidan Flint's ridiculous gif uh, from the Seven Side Derby that was tweeted. I'm looking forward to more gifts. Uh, just one more quick word about Marlon Pack. Uh, do you think he should be starting every week for City? Um, I, I think, I'm not sure because it depends what system you're going to play. Definitely he's in contention with Corey Smith to, to play in that central midfield role. And if you want to have a more defensive side or a sort of a more combative side um, with a bit more aggression in the middle there, then um, yeah, definitely put him in there. The only thing I'd say is he's leading the, the league at the moment on yellow cards. got more yellow cards than anyone, seven I believe. And uh, he's already had one suspension. He's got to be careful um, that he doesn't get another. Yes, tailored aggression. That's what we want from Marlon Pack. Thank you so much, Gregor, for joining me and join us next time for the Robins on the Wire podcast. Thanks for listening. Robins on the Wire.